All right, welcome to the Crown Council's Mentor of the Month program with our very specific focus on young dentists and student dentists who are trying to decide where to go and what to do next in their career. In this episode, we interview Dr. Jared Tyre. Uh, you'll get a, a brief introduction to him at the beginning of the podcast, as well as I'm online here with Steve Anderson, founder of the Total Patient Service Institute and the Crown Council. Grateful for this episode, thankful that you're joining us. A few things that you'll learn in this episode from Dr. Tyre, how to double production in one year from a brand new practice that he bought. So Jared buys an old practice from a retiring dentist. He's 75 years old. And in one year, Jared doubles the production of this practice. So some really fun things that you're going to learn about how he interacted with the old patients, uh, how he introduced himself when he bought the practice, and how the old dentist signed the practice over to him that morning. And then the next mo- that, that day, the dentist is gone. And Jared just takes over, and he is the new dentist in the practice. So uh, you'll learn about how he finances the new practice, uh, how it's a, a, a two-chair practice that he somehow makes over a million dollars of, of revenue in a year just in with two chairs. Uh, Jared talks about a lot about going slow with buying some technology and, and things that are in your practice as a young dentist. He talks about having a practice transition specialist. And a huge key takeaway is who to surround yourself with when starting a new practice, buying a practice and and who these key mentors are whether it's business accounting financing um, clinical skills he talks about all the mentors that he surrounded himself with as he started this practice so hopefully you enjoy this episode and you'll learn a lot from dr jared tyre uh, in the sugar house dentist area sugar house dentist in uh, salt lake city utah all right enjoy all right, everybody, welcome to our Crown Council Student Mentorship Podcast. I'm Stuart Anderson, joined by Stephen Anderson and Dr. Jared Tyre. Thank you, Dr. Tyre, for being with us. Pleasure. Hey, before we get started, I wanted to just frame uh, a few things about this podcast and the series in general. One, if you don't know what the Crown Council is, let me just give you a brief synopsis here. It's our job or purpose to bring the very best in dentistry together. This is a a community and that community is committed to sharing their very best. So dentists can can feel like they're never practicing alone. Um, That is one thing and one commitment that we have is that we're we're bringing together doctors like Dr. Tyre who can come together and share their best with each other. Uh, I guess series number two here is this podcast is created with a very uh, young dentist audience in mind. So we're interviewing members of the Crown Council who each have a different perspective on a different type of practice that's available to young dentists or student dentists who are trying to decide where to go and what to do in making that decision. So we've gone out and found the very best in our group. Uh, They're gonna be providing advice, counsel, warnings, mentorship, based on the types of experiences that they've had starting their own practice or coming out of dental school. So now we introduce uh, Dr. Tyre. Welcome. We're grateful to have you. He practices in my hometown. He's at, my wife got a uh, crown last week, Dr. Tyre, from you. Was it last week? Wow. Okay. Great. (laughs) Doing okay? She's doing great. Very good. We're going to come back. So thank you very much. Okay. All right. Good. (laughs) So Dr. Tyre, I've known him for years. He practices here in Salt Lake City. 
And uh, our relationship with Dr. Tyre, I mean, it goes back uh, to the very beginning when he started a part of the, as part of the Crown Council in, in, uh, as a student at the University of Pacific. So while attending dental school, he started uh, as a student, as part of our group, and he graduated from the University of Utah, the University of Pacific, where he graduated with highest honors, as it, is, as it says on your website. Very good. You can and put it was, yes. <laughs> uh, awarded the Crown Council's Young Dentist of the Year Award, so a very uh, prestigious award inside our group where his colleagues vote, uh, and we determine the absolute very best young dentist coming up into the group. Um, a member of the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, uh, a member of the American Dental Association, the Utah Dental Association, and obviously an alumni of the University of Pacific. And uh, one thing I love about Dr. Tyre is he is constantly serving on our humanitarian trips. Uh, how many trips have you been on now, uh, Dr. Tyre, with the, with the Smiles for Life team? Eight, with number nine coming up in March of next year. So uh, four times a year. Crown Council and Smiles for Life hosts humanitarian trips that Dr. Tyre has been on now eight. That's almost every year since the beginning. Yeah, we started a long time ago with you. I think it was, um, when did we start doing those in the Dominican? Man, it, it was been about at least 10 years ago. 10 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I started in, two, my first trip was 2010. And so, yeah, we've been doing them pretty much every year. So Very, very cool. Yeah, uh, no, great Besides dentistry, fly fishing, fly tying. I don't know what else goes at fly. What, what else could there be? Fly. Uh, what do you think? That's, that's about all the fly you can do. I mean, <laughs> so a, mas yeah. a, a master fly fisherman. He loves traveling with his family and uh, he's married to his high school sweetheart and they have four sons and a daughter. So very grateful to have you, Doc. His dad's a dentist and both he. Two brothers are dentists, correct? Yep. Yep. We so maybe maybe let's start there, um, Jared. Talk about where your dental journey began, how it started, um, and how you got into the profession, and just maybe just give a little background on your own personal history. Sure. Well, so dad dad is a dentist, no longer practicing, um, retired just about two years ago, and I kind of watched him just growing up, watched him worked with patients and uh, worked in his practice a little bit while I was a young college student and learned a lot about dentistry that way. It kind of gave me an idea as to what dentistry would look like. And, uh, you know, you want to kind of figure out, is this something that I really want to do? And so good to get involved that way. But um, yeah, when I was a young married uh, student at the University of Utah, uh, my wife and I were talking about medicine, dentistry, her dad's a doctor and my dad's a dentist and we were trying to figure out, all right, what's going to work best. And I just felt like, well, I really loved doing what I did with my hands as a fly tire. I'd been doing that a long time and uh, just loved watching dad work with people and watch his relationships grow with people. And I thought, oh, this is something that I could do. So I uh, ended up uh, working on my undergraduate and uh, took me a little bit to get in. Um, definitely, if you don't succeed, try, try again is, is kind of my motto. That's a story for a different day, Stuart, but finally made it in and actually made it to the University of the Pacific because of the Andersons and their connections with dentists that are involved with the Crown Council there and had a good friend uh, that uh, said, hey, you really ought to come and 
take a look at this school and uh, went out there and uh, started in 2003 and graduated in 2006. So great, uh, great school and a great experience out there. So Jared, coming out of school, they're like any dental student, you had a lot of options, a lot of options of where you could go, what you could do. Walk us through your decision-making process and what led you to the ultimate decision that you made coming out of school. Okay. So that actually is a great question. And I had lots of options, um, not to, you know, pat the old back here, but I was the only one out of our uh, graduating class top 10 to decide to go into general dentistry and everybody else, mm. special. everybody thought this is really strange. Why is Tyre deciding to head off to general dentistry? And it was because I had an opportunity to buy a practice. And a lot of my class back then were thinking if they were doing general dentistry, it was either you're going to do a uh, one year post uh, graduation uh, residency or AGB, or you're going to buy a practice. And that's not so much the case anymore. I know most people think, well, I'm going to do a one-year postdoc in, uh, in general practice residency if they're doing general dentistry, and then they're going to look for an associateship or something of that nature. I had an opportunity to come out and buy a practice right out of school from a dentist who was practicing next door to my dad. And the timing was really good. The practice was not so good. So it was a two-chair practice, and the doctor was 75. And so you can imagine um, you know, he'd slowed down quite a bit over the last 10 years of his practice career. And he had maintained a lot of patients because of relationships and family relationships. But it was a good opportunity for me to come out and actually get my foot in the door um, of dentistry by buying a practice. And that's how I did that. And it was really I wanted to work next to dad. I thought, well, dad is old school. He worked in one chair for his entire career wow. and did his own cleanings the entire 30, well, was, I think it was like 40 years that he practiced. And wow. uh, there wasn't any room for me there, but I still thought here's an opportunity to be next to dad, but not really with him practicing. Got it. So down the hall in the same building. And this was a clean break, I, I believe, right? You bought the practice the uh, the previous owner exited as soon as you bought it, right? There was no overlap. Is that right? You got it. So what happened there was I um, uh, agreed on a price with him through a broker and we decided on a closing date and I spent a month where I was waiting for my license to come through the state of Utah and basically introduced myself for a month to patients as the previous owner was working on them. And I just got to know a whole bunch of patients during that month. And what was really great about that was, yeah, on August 1st, 2006, we signed some documents in the morning and he walked out the door at eight that morning and I was the guy. And <laughs> wow, his name was still on the door, but people walked in and went, wow, he's much younger now. It's amazing. <laughs> so no, I, I was the guy and that was, uh, that was kind of awakening for me. It was definitely a moment where I went, okay, this is real now. Uh, but it was a great opportunity to just 
have to basically get to work. You, when you saw it in the chair, you had to start to work and you just sort of had to figure it out as you went. And just for context, when you bought it, the practice was producing what a year? It was just over 450,000. Got it. Yep. And we were working, he was working still four days a week. Um, Technically the Fridays were half days, but he would work Monday, Tuesday, and then Thursday, and then a half day Friday. Got it. And number of chairs? Two. Two chairs in, yeah, in uh, about 700 square feet. So it was a tight practice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and just so we got this in context, you bought a two chair practice doing a little over 400,000 from a 75 year old dentist who probably quit doing dentistry at least 10, <laughs> 10 years yeah. before. And in a location that frankly is not real visible. I mean, this is a, it was a dental building. There were a lot of other dentists in the building. Um, yeah. So, not There's, not necessarily there there are a lot of things that weren't necessarily ideal but there was an opportunity there was an opportunity and what what i realize now that i probably lucked out on when i first got into the practice was these types of practices are out there where you have doctors that have worked for 35 40 years and guaranteed the last 5 to 10 years of their practice they yep. just have looked in patients' mouths and said, does anything hurt? And they go, nope. And they go, well, I think we're good. They sort of <laughs> gave up. And right. such an opportunity because I recognized quickly how much dentistry it was to be done in some of these patients' mouths. That was a pitfall, though, and I realized it really quick. So what I, what I didn't realize that I lucked out on was a lot of opportunity in a practice like this. What I realized quickly were these patients, they hadn't been talked to so much about dentistry over the last five to 10 years. So to come in and say, oh, you've got six molars with absolutely gigantic fillings. They all need crowns. The minute, if I even thought about saying something like that to one of them, they would have gone to one of the other six general dentists that are sitting in my building right now. (laughs) That guy downstairs just wants all my money. So I very quickly during that first month in August recognized I have got to build a relationship with each of these people and at the same time Hmm. communicate some of their needs. And so I took a lot of photos. Um, I, the first thing I did is I put computers in each of the operatories, both of them uh, that were screens above the chairs. So I could take the photos, take the x-rays, hand them a mirror and say, this is exactly what we're looking at. This is why I think this tooth needs something done now. And then we're going to watch these other ones because obviously nothing's bothering you, but I don't want anything to bother you. And so this one is an immediate need. Let's work on that. And then we'll see you again back in six months. And over time, people became very loyal and they understood what I was trying to do. And it was interesting because after seeing some of these patients for a couple of years, I started to get the comments of, wow, my mouth's never felt this good. Maybe in the last 10 years, I really haven't felt like I could chew into things or my teeth have been really sensitive. And all of a sudden those comments were coming saying, yeah, we're, we're feeling really good. We're seeing some real benefit from what we're doing here, but I did it gradually. I didn't want to burn bridges by pointing out 
all of the fires. I just pick the biggest bonfire and let the other ones kind of smolder for a little bit. Mark, Adam. Let's take a step back um, because there's a fascinating story here. I want to go back to a major point to make sure we don't miss it. Who was it that took a gamble financially on a dental <laughs> student and financed the purchase? Well, so that was the uh, that was Washington Federal Bank, and. I had to bring them in um, a whole bunch of financials from the practice. And then I had to kind of lay open my personal books. And back then that was a little easier than it is now, I think, but I think it's still doable because by now, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, I've purchased one, two, three other practices and have built them up and either incorporated them or sold them in some way, shape, or form. And each one of those, we've had to do the same thing. We've had to show the financials and just show yeah. that the practice had potential and the will, and and we had the opportunity to uh, make some money on it. So, and in this case, for those that aren't familiar with the area, this is a local bank. Yeah. So this is a local bank that serves the local community. They're not nationwide. They don't have a, a professional practice division that loan. They are the local folks in the local community that are charged with finding local businesses that want to grow. And there's a key point there. That's a common theme that we find running in in practices that are their own. Many times, uh, if it doesn't fit the the typical mold, like this didn't, it's the local bank that believes in somebody in your case that grew up in the community that has a family presence in the community. And with all the proper financial things in place, they decided that you were a pretty good risk and they were right. <laughs> and now they're all patients. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Jared, Jared, talk more about, uh, you mentioned a broker. Could you talk and, and give advice on uh, the broker that you used? Yeah. So, I used a broker called CTC Associates, and they are spread throughout the West. But what a broker does is that they'll come in and they'll typically value a practice and then either put that practice on the market for the seller and or negotiate with the seller for the buyer. And CTC is an interesting uh, group because they actually work with both parties. And so they're very fair. The reason why I used them, I actually asked them to come in and do the valuation because the selling doctor uh, was uncertain as to how that was going to happen. And so I found them through some uh, referrals here in Utah and they are a flat fee broker. So it doesn't matter if the practice is a $2 million practice or a $200,000 practice. It's basically the flat fee for evaluating and then running the paperwork for you. And that that works really well because I think when you have a broker, you have somebody that's coming in, if they're a flat fee broker, especially, and really doesn't have a dog in the fight. They're just going to get paid what they're going to get paid. And that was helpful because it began the conversation at a price point that seemed fair to me, seemed fair to the seller, and we negotiated from there. Got Very it. Smart. All right, we're going to take it from that point, those first few months in practice, to $1 million in revenue. Now, 
I talk about this uh, often. <laughs> You're one of the few dentists that I have worked with that has been able to produce a million dollars in production out of just two chairs. Uh, I don't find that very often. That's uh, somewhat rare. You don't see very many two chair practices to begin with, but to be able to do that kind of revenue out of just two chairs, that from, from purchase to a million in annual production collections was how long? Um, I think that took us about 12 months. One, so you doubled production in a year. Double plus. Um, okay, so this begs the question, how did you do it? How, <laughs> how did you double production in the first year and manage to produce a million dollars just out of two chairs? It, so it took me all of a month to figure out this is a bigger beast than I really learned about operating, even though it was only two chairs and just $450,000 of production a year. It was a bigger beast for me to handle from what I had learned in school, both clinically and business management. And I recognized very quick how I needed to have some mentorship in both of those arenas. And so I set out the very best in coaches, both uh, on the business administration side, as well as the clinical side, in order to help myself uh, determine what it is that I didn't know or what was the potential of the practice that I could tap into to increase the revenue quickly. So what I lucked out on was picking a business administrative coach who helped not just in the business administration side, but also the clinical side in determining how those two interconnected. And that's that was when I started with the TOPS team, really, and with Mary Beth. And Mary Beth, when I started to talk to her about what, was the, what the potential was for the practice, and I could see in her mind that she was thinking much bigger than what I was thinking, uh, I didn't know if, I didn't think it was very realistic what she was talking about. And we were talking about going from 450 in that first year to about 700. And she talked me into giving up one of my chairs to a hygienist, which I just thought, oh, that's <laughs> yeah, or had a hygienist ever seen this happen? How do I give up patients to a hygienist when I'm just trying to get to know them? So I took the leap of faith and started to do everything that I was coached on from the tops team. And I quickly saw how revenue went up as we, in, we really implemented our front end verbal top skills with patients and started to incorporate this bridging between the front and the back with this transfer of, of, uh, of power between when we take a patient to the front, from the front to the back, to the back to the front, and to watch patients as we communicated what their needs were and to communicate their financial obligations with what their needs were, and then watch them all say yes. It wasn't uncommon for, so my dental assistant and my front end uh, business assistant, I only had two before I hired a hygienist. So I, I had a team of three through this year. And every wow. time a patient would come in, the two who would help me out, uh, the, the business assistant, the dental assistant that would help me out were previously in the practice. They, they had worked with the selling dentist. Um, one was his daughter. And so his daughter would say to me every time a patient would come in, 
you know, this patient, good luck. I, they never want to do it. <laughs> and so we, we present treatment and they'd sign up and prepay their, uh, what they were going to owe. And they'd come in and get it done. And she was just flabbergasted all these people getting stuff done. And it was just because of the verbal skills that we had learned. And the relationship that you, oh. <clears throat> you built with them. I mean, that was, that was a huge, huge part of it. Yep. I agree. The second thing that I needed was a way to understand some of the clinical things that I just didn't learn in dentistry. Right. And I, I quickly learned that occlusion is kind of a mystical uh, sort of concept out there that in dental school, you really don't learn anything. a whole lot on it. Airway has crept into my practice because it drives that. And right. Steve and I talk about this on another podcast for hours. But I found a mentor that could help me with that and go through. I went through a uh, program up in Seattle with John Coyce, where it was kind of like a, a postgraduate program where I didn't do uh, general practice residency out of school. I just jumped out and bought a practice. I had the opportunity to go up with um, Dr. Coyce and really learn how to treatment plan, how to recognize when a patient had specific needs and really dive into full mouth reconstruction but also how to recognize that if a patient wasn't ready for full mouth reconstruction, how could I then build the patient up verbally so that they knew here's the expectation for the dentistry that I'm doing now because of these issues that you have, and we're not going to address those issues right now. This dentistry has a limited lifetime and I wasn't going to be the fall guy for that. I didn't want to take ownership of patients issues. Uh, and that was really key for me to learn was how to look at patients, tell them what they needed, and then be able to shape the conversation to get them what they wanted. And then still be able to have them understand there were needs beyond that. Here's what the expectation is based upon your needs, not necessarily based upon what you want. So let's go ahead and make sure that we're in alignment there. And everybody seemed happy with that. Very few miscommunications. When you do what patients want and still let them know these are the needs. So here's what the dentistry can actually perform like versus I'm going to throw this in here. And now there's an expectation from the patient. This should last me the rest of my life. And it doesn't. Right. So I met with Dr. Coyce um, for the better part of two years in doing his continuum. And I just did it sort of piecemeal. I made sure that I wasn't up there constantly breaking the bank. Um, and it worked out really well for me. Now, not every patient is ready for a full mouth rehabilitation. Uh, sometimes you'll go to these courses where you're talking to mentors who that's what they do. They work on people who have had major issues and that's all they do is full mouth rehab. You've got to be careful not to jump down that road with patients. Remember what I said at the beginning of this, the key to this was I could see a full mouth rehabilitation in my chair, but I needed to make sure in talking with the patient, knowing where they were at, that I gave them exactly what they wanted without, mm-hmm. without uh, harming them or putting them any, in any danger of having major dental issues down the road. All right, we're going to just take a short break from this podcast episode to talk about the Crown Council's Young Dentist Program. The Young Dentist Program is hosted by the Crown Council, 
Dr. David Hornbrook and the Utah Valley Dental Lab. This is our opportunity to connect with and mentor some of the young dentists who are joining the Crown Council. We invite all young dentists one to five years out of dental school to join our young dentist program and be a part of an incredible group of young dentists working to jumpstart their careers by finding the very best in dentistry to mentor them and help them get their career started. Uh, Every year, the Crown Council hosts a new class of young dentists, and you're invited to be part of that class. Uh, Online and in the notes of this podcast, there's a link to the youngdentistprogram.com where registration and information about the program is going on all the time. So we invite you to be part of the Young Dentist Program and uh, come and be with us and be mentored with the Crown Council and connect with some of the very best young dentists in dentistry. So good, good business mentors, good clinical mentors, excuse me. And I think one of the, the things worth noting is surrounding yourself with, with mentors that could see something you couldn't see. Oh yeah. That had a vision because of everything they'd seen to come back to you and say, this is what's possible. This is what you're sitting on and what it could really become. When I met with Mary Beth, I mean, she wanted us to be doing 700 in that first year. I thought, no way. And then by the end of the year, I remember I'm sitting in a seminar and all of a sudden Steve's talking about this guy who's like doing these amazing numbers out of two chairs. And I'm kind of looking around going, who's this guy? I want to meet this guy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I just had no idea we were hitting those kinds of numbers already. And I was paying close attention. Um, that actually brings me to another point of what I wish I had really known coming out of school and what I kind of taught myself, but I needed later on to really understand. And that was how to read a profit loss statement, how to read a balance sheet and understand what does ownership really mean? What does equity really mean in a practice? And that's another part of the conversation for sure. No, no, we got to do it. Now you're talking to young Jared. What, what advice are you going to give him? Uh, you know, if you're a student again, right now, looking back, um, there's a great part. Let, let's talk about it. Let's say uh, things that, what could you have done to prevent some suffering, some pain in young Jared's life? Right. I, I think one of the things that I should have learned really early on was the value of equity. And I, I kind of slipped into this ownership thing because it was sort of what you did when you got out of school back then. I think, unfortunately, now there's so many who are being told, you know, that's near impossible. I mean, to run a practice by yourself, you talk to some of these big groups who want you to sign up and become an associate with them. And it sounds like a safe bet. Yeah, definitely. Let's go ahead and let's do um, some sort of associate agreement where then we can train you and give you opportunities to learn better clinical skills and yeah, that's great. I think there's some benefit to that. But you spin your wheels as far as ownership and building equity if you're doing that. And the problem is, is how long do you do that for? When do you finally say, okay, enough's enough. Now I feel like I can stand on my own two feet. So I fell into it, but equity is king. And I really wish that I would have understood the power of equity um, very early on in my career. 
and how that's built. Uh, the one thing that I would go back and tell myself is go slow with buying the technology that you think you need. Huh. You can definitely, you can invest in some technology. And I did, I made an investment in a couple of things, but I would be smarter about it and invest in a few key pieces of equipment. And if I had to give you any ideas as to what those are, one would be a great piece of equipment to communicate with patients, an intraoral camera, super inexpensive, <clears throat> get yourself a monitor and just talk to patients. Once you put a picture up there, it speaks for itself. Um, that would be number one. The other thing that I did that I thought was so important uh, was I went ahead and I started investing in my own education. And so you're only as good as you are. Your equipment can do a lot, but you know, your own education and just starting to really build out what type of continuing education plan you want in order to make sure that you're filling in the gaps in your education and offering patients services that the other dentists around you are not offering. Yeah. Everybody comes out of school ready to do fillings and crowns yep. and perio. But I had, for example, I have six dentists in my building. And then if you go outside, I could probably chip a golf ball and hit <laughs> another five general dentistry. That's practice. right. But still, we see about 80 new patients a month in our practice with all of those general dentistry practices around us. And the reason why that is, is because we've expanded our services. We do Invisalign, we do implants, uh, we do gum graft techniques, um, we do uh, occlusal and TMJ treatments, we do Botox. So we do a whole slew of things that nobody else in the building is doing. And so we capture that part of the market. So build out your CE early on and know what it is that you want to do. I think the other thing that I would say, if the whole idea about learning what a profit loss statement is in a balance sheet, do that because as you realize what the equity is that you have in ownership, you're going to have people that are going to want a piece of that equity. And there's a great opportunity out there as you build equity to be able to smartly sell that equity and gain value from that without losing ownership. And that's a whole business model that you can work on as you're growing your practice and as you decide, well, maybe now as a general dentist, it's a good idea to become a, a business owning dentist or a mentoring dentist. And you can look at opportunities to buy other practices buy them in concert with partners, maybe buy them and then have a junior partner that you sell a part of your equity to in a separate practice and grow them as a mentor and then begin to look at opportunities to uh, sell more equity to them as they grow up and want more ownership. So there's lots of things that you can do if you just simply learn the basics behind business ownership and what the value of ownership actually is. You know, we talk a lot in, in the Crown Council and, and as well as a total patient service about the fact birds of a feather flock together and flocking causes birds to be of the feather. It's the whole mentor concept that mm -hmm. there, there may be few decisions that are as important as who you decide to surround yourself with. So going back, if you were going to assemble 
the all-star team to take someone from dental school, put them into practice immediately and have the all-star team around them. Characteristically, who would that be? You've already mentioned a couple, a good clinical mentor or two, a good business mentor or two. Absolutely. Who else is part of that group that was integral to your being able to move ahead in addition to those two? Okay. Get a great accountant. Okay. Absolutely. Mm. You need a good accountant and somebody that is hopefully business minded and understands the importance of um, debt versus, uh, versus revenue and revenue streams. Um, and you need a good financial planner on that end. Somebody that's going to help keep you disciplined with some sort of monthly savings plan. Because let's face it, at some point, these, these hands of yours are going to slow down. And typically in dentistry, that happens in your 50s. You're going to ramp up. You're going to get really fast and really effective uh, through your mid-30s and 40s. You're going to be amazing. And then all of a sudden, you're going to start to notice that you're getting a little slower and things aren't coming as easy. And so you need to have a plan moving forward for what that looks like. Um, and a good business planner and a good accountant will help you plan for when that happens and you're at your peak, what is the plan from there? Here's the problem. Most of our baby boomer dentists and some of our Gen X dentists at this point, they slow down in their practices and now their revenue is going down. Thus, the value of their equity is going down. And you've got to figure out a good plan to sell that equity at, at its peak in part, if not all of it, you'd have to kind of look at what you want to do and then be able to continue to work as a part owner or maybe change your hat. Maybe it's part education, part owner, part mentor, business owner. I don't know, whatever it might be, but you need those two key individuals. Um, Let me think. I think those would be the only two that I would think about. Steve, can you think of any others? Maybe that I. Can uh, you've about? had you've had some good equipment, some good suppliers along the way that have been not only just sold you things, but have been I think good mentors for you and have kind of pointed some things out of what's a good investment, what's not. I know you've had a few of those. Yeah, I've had a really great relationship with our uh, Shine representatives and. I think that's really important. You have to be really straightforward with your reps. Um, I don't like reps coming into my office and I tell them that. I just tell them, look, if you want to get in contact with me, here's my personal cell phone number. Text me. Don't call the office and try to set up a lunch and learn because the office is always good to take an extra hour during the day and have lunch and listen to something (laughs) they want to listen to. No, I think you've got to have a good relationship, but an understanding relationship that, hey, I need certain things, but I want to make sure that we're getting an ROI on that. There's got to be a return on the investment and to find somebody that you've got a good partnership in with the supply and equipment side of things is, is key. That's, that's a great point for sure. And then finally, just to underline, I mean, you've, you've also been part of some key organizations with like-minded dentists that philosophically you're aligned with clinically, as well as managerially in, in, in terms of how you run your practice and being surrounded by that, uh, I think you would agree, uh, has an impact consciously and sometimes subconsciously that you're not even aware of 
of that positive influence and surrounding yourself with the right kind of people. Absolutely. I think the number one organization where that's been a very positive influence for me has been the Crown Council and the individuals I've met there um, our mastermind groups that we have formed through that organization have been absolutely priceless in shaping the way that I've practiced dentistry, the way that I work with patients. So that's that group in and of itself um, has helped shape 80% of my thinking in the way that I practice dentistry. Um, I've also been very involved with the uh, Seattle Study Club that we have here in Salt Lake. I've uh, been doing that for the last five years and enjoyed that group, uh, a great clinical uh, mentorship group as well. Um, and then, of course, my affiliation with the Coy Center, uh, that has shaped early on in my career. I haven't done so much with them over the last maybe eight, nine years outside of uh, going to their annual symposium, but uh, that, that was very key in shaping a lot of my thought process and how I approach patients. All right. Final question. I'm going to okay. put you on the spot. This is my favorite question. Knowing what you know now, if you were going to start all over back where you were coming straight out of school, what would you do or what would you do differently? Okay. That's a good question. Um, this is something I could probably sit and talk about for a half an hour. <laughs> right. So what I did was I, I bought a practice. Um, interestingly enough, there was another dentist in the building who was ready to retire about three years after that practice. Uh -huh. I bought that practice and I merged the two. Mm -hmm. I think now if we had a little more space, so I'm still sitting in four chairs. When I merged those two practices, I was able to remodel it and we've got four chairs and this year we're doing 3.2 million and that's revenue, not production. That's out of four chairs. That's great. Uh, so I would uh, do that all over again with the understanding that uh, you can maximize your space and maximize your potential merging in practices as you do it. And I would remind myself how important it was in my young career uh, to work and work hard. Too many dentists are in a race to the bottom of how few days they can work. <laughs> so true. That mentality will not get you anywhere. You will loathe dentistry if you're thinking, how do I work three days a week? Well, that might come. Eventually that'll come. And that's great. Uh, I hope that you're filling your other two days with some other aspect of dentistry that is building up your back nine, so to speak. What is it that you're going to be doing when, like I said, your hands slow down, but your mind is still sharp and you don't want to be or can't be fully financial ind financially independent. So I think working hard and remembering to work hard is really important. Um, the other thing that I would remind myself is this is about people and that's what it's always been for me. So when we have limited space and I've got myself and my partner now working in this four chair practice, we quickly learned in order to see the patients that we needed to see, we needed to expand our hours. Patients love that. They love coming in. We start at 6 a.m. 
and we go till 6 p.m. And patients love those six to eight and then four to six hours when they can come in after work, before work and not miss work. They really appreciate that we're willing to do that. Um, so we work hard and that's important. And it's about making sure patients' needs are met. The other half of that question is what do I wish that I wouldn't have done or had done differently? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think probably number one is I wish that I would have understood the importance of uh, saving money and not buying as much stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, there, I still have a little closet in the back with a couple of odd things that I just thought, this is it. We're going to just do amazing stuff with this one relatively big thing that I just spent a ton of money on and just went, ah, that just didn't ever materialize. Yeah. So I would be really careful with that and make sure that it's in your game plan for what it is that you're going to do with it and what's the return on investment on it and is your team on board with it. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing that I wish that I would have probably done differently. Um, I think I would have probably just made sure that I was spending more time um, making sure that my own family and my own personal time was paid attention to. You need a little bit of downtime. And I did that really well in dental school. I had Saturdays were sort of like the holy days for our family. We just, there wasn't anything in dental school that went on on Saturdays. And we just had a great day to recharge the batteries all together. I, I think for the first year and a half of practice, I was over here more hours and late in the evening, just trying to figure stuff out. And I think I could have been a little more wise with my time doing that. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you for uh, taking us on that quick journey from, from inception uh, to today. And there's still, we know, a lot of runway ahead. And yes. the lessons learned uh, from early on are invaluable. And thank you for sharing your experience and your wisdom uh, for others who can benefit in the same way. So uh, thank you, Jared. Perfect. Yeah, Much future success uh, moving forward. And thanks again for sharing your wisdom and all your experience today. Wisdom. I like that. I'll have to go home and tell my kids that I was uh, <laughs> being wise today. No you got it. All right. Thank you both. Thanks, thanks Jared. You bet. Thanks for joining us for this Mentor of the Month podcast sponsored by Crown Council. This is just one tool available to the Crown Council membership that helps dental teams build a culture of success. That's our mission and purpose is to provide a place for dental teams to come together and learn the skills needed to develop your most valuable asset, the people, those people who work in your practice. As always, if you're interested in being part of this group or want more information about the tools available to the membership, go to www.crowncouncil.com or call us 1-800-276-9658. Thanks.